When the Roses Bloom Again by Lee McCusker Read by Sam Gabriel Based on the works of J.K. Rowling Chapter 9 Stealing a Secret All right, set her down, Professor Nott instructed. The class immediately fell silent, her presence alone enough to elicit such a reaction. She was a stern woman, her mousy brown hair pulled back as tightly as her ever-present pursed lips. She always appeared as though she were unimpressed, but Harry had quickly learned this was her demeanor. She was not as sour as she was terse, impatient perhaps, but not unfair. Thus far, Rosalina Nott had impressed him. She was a well of knowledge on the subject of defense, and a passionate practitioner. One only needed to hear her explain the beauty of the spells she taught to see that. If he were honest with himself, he had expected little from her bigotry and favoritism towards pure bloods, but she had proven him wrong. She was nothing like the two knots he had met. She looked like them, but that was where the resemblance ended. "'Today we will be discussing situationally specific spells,' she announced, and Harry could have sworn her eyes had lingered on him for a second longer than was normal. "'Can anyone tell me what I mean by the term situationally specific spells?' Harry had read the term in the book that Sirius had given him, and when no one else raised their hands he did so. "'Evans,' not prompted. "'The term refers to spells that have been created to serve only one specific purpose. As an example, a privacy charm is designed only for that outcome, whereas a fire-summoning charm could be used for many things, from lighting a candle to burning down an entire building.' A ghost of a smile crested the woman's thin lips as she nodded. "'Take five points for Gryffindor,' she offered. "'Mr. Evans is correct.' Situationally specific spells are designed for one thing only. The privacy charm, as Mr. Evans explained, serves only the purpose of providing privacy. It cannot be repurposed for other use. Now, can anyone think of any other spells that would fall into that category? Mr. Black. Arcturus Black frowned at being questioned when he had not raised his hand. The killing curse, he answered with a shrug. Indeed, Professor Nott agreed. The one of the three unforgivable curses that has only one purpose. "'What about the Cruciatus curse?' Stebbins questioned. Harry disliked the boy. He was as bigoted as they came with none of the intelligence or charisma of some of his housemates. Charles, too, disliked him, and often spoke of his stupidity. "'The Cruciatus curse used to be used as a medical spell,' Not replied. "'It still could be if needed, but the healer practice has advanced beyond the need of it.' Stebbins merely frowned, but said nothing else. "'Let us delve into more specific examples,' Professor Nott suggested her calculating eyes once more roaming towards Harry. Seeing that he would not take whatever bait she was offering, she took it upon herself to prod him in the desired direction. "'Mr. Evans, I have it on very good authority that you have mastered the Patronus charm and did so when you were aged thirteen. And there it was. Harry could only nod as most of his peers stared at him in various states of disbelief and skepticism. "'Is that true, Evans?' Charles asked, surprised. "'Bullocks is in.' Arcturus Black scoffed. Harry frowned at the boy. Had it been a pure-blood student that had been called upon for such a feat, Black wouldn't have been so dismissive. "'What's Patronus Charm?' Poppy questioned. "'Ah, well, the Patronus Charm was developed to fight the effects of the Dementors. We cover them in your third-year classes,' not reminded them. "'The Patronus acts as a shield initially, but when the charm is mastered it takes on what is known as its corporeal form, an animal that best represents you or someone you see as a guardian. It is a very difficult spell to master, and one that very few have the patience and diligence to do so with.' 
Abraxas Malfoy huffed. Even my father cannot do it. So, if Evans can, does that mean he's a better wizard than your father, Malfoy? Tiberius asked with a smirk. Abraxas scowled. Go on, Harry, show us, Chowis encouraged. Releasing a sigh, Harry stood and drew his wand, his memories of Sirius becoming his point of focus. Expect a Patronum, he whispered. The grim that had become his familiar leapt from the tip of his wand, the blinding light of his spell bathing the room in a white glow. Harry was not often one to be smug, but he turned towards both Arcturus and Abraxas, a challenging look adorning his features. Bloody hell, Charles muttered, in awe of the magic on display. He was not the only one, and even Professor Knott was suitably impressed. What is it? Ogden asked curiously. It's a dog, Malfoy snorted. No, Arcturus said, offering Harry a speculative look. That would be a grim. A grim? Abraxas questioned with a frown. An omen of death, Arcturus muttered. It is one of the symbols of my family. With a flick of his wand, Harry ended the spell and took his seat, irritated that he had been pushed into demonstrating the spell. He would rather have done without such a display. Excellent work, Mr. Evans. Take twenty points for Gryffindor. Harry merely shrugged in response. For the next lesson, I would like you to find other examples of situationally specific spells that we can attempt to master. That will be all for today. Mr. Evans, I'd like you to stay behind for a moment. We'll wait outside for you, Charles muttered. Harry nodded appreciatively and waited for the room to clear whilst he pondered what the woman wanted with him. That was an extraordinary display, she praised when the final student had left. Did she have to make me do it in front of everyone? he asked. I did, and with good reason. Then I'd like for you to explain. The corner of the woman's mouth twitched in amusement. Mr. Evans, you're a very talented student, that cannot be denied, but I needed to see it for myself, she began. I've been watching you closely these past weeks, and you complete the work set to a high standard, but you are better than you are showing me and the rest of the class. That doesn't seem to be a good enough reason, Harry sighed. No, but the fact that you are a half-blood with a rather influential boy holding a grudge against you is, not returned evenly, that display of magic will not prevent Malfoy from acting eventually, but it will make him considerate. Unless the magical relatives you have can stand against the lord of his family, then it is in your best interest that the grudge is forgotten. I say this as someone who understands the way of pure bloods. You mean pure bloods like you? Harry replied. Exactly. Not agreed, much to his surprise. I understand better than any because I have seen it. I watch my own brother bending over backwards to accommodate families like the Malfoys. If they take exception to you, it will make your life very difficult. I do not wish that for you. Why do you care? Because you have more potential than you know, and I would see you fulfill it. Not answered simply. I would like for you to come for one-on-one -on -one tuition with me two evenings a week. We will work on anything you like pertaining to defense against the dark arts, and I will even set you advanced work to complete. If you like, I will even teach you to duel. I think you would make an excellent duelist. A duelist? Harry asked, taken aback by the offer. Not nodded. From what I have seen, you could make a very profitable career from it, but that would be your decision. I think it is something that you would benefit from, at the very least. Harry nodded thoughtfully. Having someone to duel against would be useful, and any further help he could get, a boon to his own efforts. I'd like that, he replied. Good. Then we will begin next week on Monday and Friday evenings after dinner. 
Professor Nott decided. Until then, and moving forward, do not try to antagonize the Malfoy boy. If he is anything like his father, he could prove to be rather troublesome for you. Harry snorted. If he was anything like Draco and Lucius, he would prove to be a sniveling coward. I won't antagonize him, but if he comes for me, I will not back down from him. Nott smiled. I wouldn't expect anything less, she returned with a conspiratorial wink. With a new plan in motion, Harry gathered his things and took his leave of the classroom. The unexpected offer and conversation he'd shared with the woman having left him taken aback. "'What does she want?' Charles questioned. "'To tutor me,' Harry replied. "'Bloody hell. She must think a lot of your ability to do that. I think only Minnie here has been offered that by Dumbledore since we started.' Minerva nodded, a thoughtful frown marring her features. "'Is that what you want?' she asked. Harry nodded. "'It can't hurt, can it?' Charles shook his head. "'You'll be stupid for turning it down. "'Say what you will about the rest of her family, "'not as good at what she does.' "'She is,' Harry agreed quietly, "'his mind already wandering to the task "'he intended on completing today. "'And we have the feast to look forward to,' "'Charles reminded him. "'Minerva's eyes lit up, but Harry released a deep breath. "'I don't celebrate Halloween,' he muttered. "'Why not?' Charles asked. "'It's the date my parents were murdered,' "'Harry answered morosely. "'Talk about putting your foot in it,' Charles mumbled as he gave Harry a look of sympathy. "'Sorry, Evans.' Harry waved him off. "'You didn't know. I just don't feel like celebrating it. I don't have good memories of Halloween. "'So let's go to bed early,' he announced, taking his leave of the duo. "'He hadn't lied. "'The recent Halloweens had not endeared him to the idea of the holiday, "'and the death of his parents coinciding with that date only made it all the sourer.' Besides, tonight was the night he had been preparing for, the hours spent watching the map late at night, and his trips into the restricted section under cover of the cloak culminating in what he was to undertake this evening. Carrying out on this day merely felt fitting to strike his first blow against Voldemort. When he arrived at the common room, it was as empty as he expected, and he had chosen to act during the feast so that his presence would not be missed. If past events were anything to go by, he would have a few hours to do what he needed to do and be back in the tower. Even if he were to overrun, he could claim that he had simply gone for a walk. Having revealed his reason to Minerva and Charles for not attending the feast, they would come to his defense. A part of him felt guilty for manipulating the situation to his benefit this way, but it could prove to be necessary. A plan that Tom himself would be proud of, he thought, sickened that he was using subterfuge worthy of his foe. Such tactics, as abhorrent as he found them, were nevertheless effective, and he grudgingly accepted that much of his efforts would now require such unsavory practices. Checking the bag he had packed and had been adding to these past weeks, he consulted the map a final time before concealing himself within his cloak. Releasing a deep sigh, he exited the tower and began his descent toward the second-floor girl's bathroom. "'I do you think we should check on him?' Minerva whispered as she and Charles were seated at the Gryffindor table with the other sixth years. He had not been himself all day, and learning the reason why, she felt awful for him. Her relationship with her own parents was strained at best, but at the very least they were still around when she needed them, even her father despite his views on what she was. Harry had no one, and from what little he had mentioned to her during the hours they had spent together he had lost his godfather too. "'I think he would like to be alone,' Charles said sadly. "'You saw him, Minnie.' He does what he is used to. Being alone, Charles nodded. He might come to lessons with us and even eat with us, but on weekends, do you see him? 
Minerva frowned and shook her head. Not since summer had ended had she seen him on a weekend, and a sense of guilt filled her. Harry was more alone than Charles knew, but Minerva did. She made a mental note to spend more time with him, if he wanted to, of course. No, she admitted. He's a loner, Charles shrugged. And that's fine, but I'd like to think he likes us. He doesn't strike me as a person who would pretend. Minerva sighed internally. Of course, Harry liked Charles. They were family, after all, even if the latter didn't know it. I'll check on him later, she decided. I'll give him some space first. I think that would be for the best, Charles agreed. Besides, it's a Hogsmeade weekend. He shall be there with us. I'll bloody drag him along if I have to. The chamber was as he remembered it, the journey here much less impeded than the first time he had ventured here. There had been no moaning myrtle to avoid, no collapsed tunnels to navigate, and no Lockhart presence to attempt wiping his memories. All in all, accessing the hidden cavern beneath the school had been rather anticlimactic in comparison, though he was pleased by the lack of obstacles presented to him this time. And here he was. The cold stone chamber, lined with serpent statues and a flowing stream on either side, it was no less eerie, and the knowledge that the basilisk he had once killed was only on the other side of the intricate statue of Salazar Slytherin only served to make the place more foreboding. A shiver ran down Harry's spine, and he instinctively reached for the scar near his left elbow. The pain he'd felt was incomparable to anything else, though the speed in which he'd felt himself fading after having been bitten is what remained with him. Pain was no stranger to him, after all. With a deep breath, he slowly walked toward the statue the hairs on the back of his neck standing up in anticipation. He had contemplated what he would do here for the past weeks, various scenarios playing over in his mind, something he had changed countless times. He had considered the benefits of keeping the snake alive. Perhaps in the creature he could find a powerful ally? He had dismissed the thoughts, having pondered it. He may be a parcel mouth, but a beast such as this was dangerous to all, too dangerous to be allowed to live within the school or to expose people to. No, leaving it alive was not an option. Despite his potential ability to converse with it, the basilisk was a power unto its own, and even if it were to prove compliant with his wishes, it was not a responsibility he wanted. His arm throbbed a phantom pain, reminding him once more of what had happened the last time he had been here. There was no other way. To ensure his safety, and those within the castle now, and in the future, the basilisk had to die. It was for the best. He certainly couldn't risk leaving it here for Tom to find when he arrived, and if Harry had learned anything of his foe, he was as resourceful as they came. Even if Harry did manage to take control of the serpent, Tom would find a way to take it from him. That was not a risk he was willing to take, and there was nowhere else for it to go where it would be safe. It would be hunted, and were he to surrender it to the Ministry, they would only kill it themselves. If anyone was going to do so, it should be him— if there was any benefit to be had from its death, it should be him to reap it. He frowned at that thought. Harry had never been one for greed, but there was a part of him that wanted to keep it all for himself. And if there was indeed worth in his kill, he wanted to benefit from it. He had read that the venom, fangs, and skin were sought after in certain circles, each component all but worth their weight in gold. Not that he could hope to bring in such a fortune— no, he would have to resort to selling through dubious means, and that meant less gold. It mattered not when he considered it. He would still make a significant sum from the parts, just not as much as they were truly worth. Of course, he would keep some for himself. The skin, the venom, and fangs could prove to come in handy sometime in the future. 
The rest, however, would go. Knowing he was taking it all from Voldemort only made it all the sweeter. Even if Tom were to find the chamber, there would be nothing here for him. Harry would make sure of that. He was pulled from his thoughts by an incoherent hiss sounding from behind the statue, and he stiffened. The basilisk had woken. Carefully, he removed his bag from his shoulders and placed it on the ground, opened it, and removed a single box. When he enlarged it, it was several times the size it had been, and he peered into one of the holes he had cut into the side. To believe that a rooster, of all things, was the best weapon against such a spectacular creature bordered on the ridiculous. But Harry remembered that Ginny, although possessed by Tom, had taken to killing all the roosters within the grounds. That could only mean that they posed a threat to the basilisk, that Tom was willing to risk being caught in the act to kill the birds to ensure the safety of the basilisk. If it proved to be so simple, Harry would be grateful, and if the crow of one would be fatal, the ten he had gathered should be more than sufficient, much to his relief. Harry would be glad to be rid of the infernal birds he had harvested. Feeding and keeping them clean had become quite the chore, and he did not even know how he would begin explaining if his roommates were to discover he had them. Another hiss, this time accompanied by the unmistakable sound of the basilisk slithering around its nest. It had to be now. Removing the silencing spell he had placed on the box, he kicked it over, and the roosters flapped around the room, their crowing reverberating off the walls. Immediately a blood-curdling shriek was heard from within the confines of the statue, and the sporadic thudding from the thrashing of the basilisk as it panicked. Here he covered his ears for several moments, afraid they may just bleed from the protests of the enormous serpent. When he noticed the roosters had calmed, he tentatively uncupped one of his ears and was met with silence. There was no screeching, no hissing, and no movement. Remaining hidden beneath his cloak, he closed his eyes and spoke the words that Tom Riddle had a little over three years prior. Speak to me, Slytherin, greatest of the Hogwarts Four. Either Salazar was as egotistical as Tom had been, or the latter had found a way to use this as the phrase to open the statue. Given that it opened even now, Harry could only deduce the former was true. The sound of stones scraping as the mouth of the statue opened made him press his eyes tightly closed and listen for any other sounds coming from within. Nothing, and as he squinted through the smallest gap he could, he caught a glimpse of the serpent, limp and unmoving, surrounded by pieces of rock it had dislodged during its final throes of life. "'That's a bloody relief,' he muttered, opening his eyes fully. Drawing his wand, he shuffled closer until he was within distance to prod the creature with his foot— Having done so, he withdrew quickly, still concealed by the cloak as he took in the sheer magnificence of it. For something so deadly, it was indeed a marvel, and though it was a shame to have slain it, Harry knew he had made the right choice. The basilisk was a liability, too big a liability for a sixteen-year-old to handle. Knowing that he had perhaps dawdled a little longer than he had anticipated, he set to work removing a sample of skin from the softer underside of the corpse before donning his dragon-high gloves and pulling away a loose fang. Cutting into one of the venom sacks was the most delicate part of the job, but he remembered what he had read in one of the books he had found in the restricted section on magical creature philosophy. The venom sack of the serpent is easily ruptured, and you risk losing much of the valuable fluid if too big an incision is made. The smallest of holes will suffice to drain, as it is better to be careful and patient than to rush the procedure. Although the text was not specifically discussing basilisks, Harry thought it best to heed the advice. The creature before him was a serpent, after all, only much, much larger. 
Preparing a large vial and removing the pocket knife Sirius had gifted him, he slid out a thin spike that would work perfectly to perforate the sack. Placing the tip gently against it, he pressed until he felt the tool penetrate and slowly withdrew it, placing the vial below to catch the viscous green liquid. When the flow began to wheeze, he squeezed out the final dregs and inserted a stopper whilst reveling in just how much venom he had extracted. The vial could carry a pint, and it was more than half full. He didn't know the value of it by the milliliter, but with how rare it was, he could potentially make a lot of gold from this alone. That, however, would have to wait until he could look into it, for now he needed to return to the common room before his absence was noticed. He would return to gather the rest of the basilisk over the coming days and weeks, or more likely when he had found somewhere to offload it. Again, an enormous corpse of a highly regulated creature was something he did not wish to be caught with. Exiting and sealing the chamber once more, he made his way through the twists and turns of the tunnels before he reached the entrance to the long pipe that led back to the second-floor bathroom. This had caused quite the snag in his plans when considering his timings to carry out his task. Climbing up the pipe would take hours, and he wasn't even sure if he could accomplish such a thing, so once again he had taken to the library to find a spell that could assist him. Here he had discovered one used by miners who gathered the precious metals that went into galleons. The spell itself was a variation of a levitation spell, though much more practical for exiting caverns. Harry had practiced with it in the Room of Requirement, so much so that he was confident with it, and had even found ways to incorporate it into his dueling. It was a very useful spell in many ways, but for now he only needed it for its intended use. Pointing his wands to his feet, but looking into the tunnel, he focused on propelling himself upwards until he passed through the entrance into the bathroom. It was a rather taxing undertaking, but it had gotten easier the more he had used it. Relieved to be out of the chamber and without injury, he made sure the entrance to the chamber was sealed before consulting the map. The feast had evidently finished, and the rest of the students were now in their common rooms. He had plans to be finished before this had happened, but had prepared accordingly, and seeing that there was no one within the vicinity of the bathroom, he took his leave of it and headed back towards Gryffindor Tower. "'I think I'll check on him now,' Charles announced as he stood from his chair by the fire in the common room. Minerva nodded, relieved that he was doing so. "'You're checking on Evans?' Prude asked. Charles nodded. "'Well, he's not upstairs,' the other replied, peeling a banana and removing half of it with one bite. The boy never ceased to amaze Charles with the amount he could eat and not gain an ounce of weight. He'd watched only a short while ago as Pruitt had polished off five helpings of food and three desserts. "'What do you mean he's not upstairs?' Charles asked worriedly. Pruitt shrugged. "'His curtains are open, but he's not in bed.' "'Pollocks,' Charles muttered. "'It's not a good idea for him to be wandering around alone, especially if Malfoy is planning something.' Minerva nodded worriedly as she too stood, drawing her wand as she did so. "'We'd better look for him.' "'We had,' Charles agreed. "'I'm coming,' Pruitt declared. "'He's one of us,' he added simply. Charles offered the boy a grateful smile as he stalked towards the entrance to the common room, only to be caught short as it opened, and an unharmed Harry entered. "'Where have you been?' Charles demanded. "'Just after a walk,' Harry replied, taken aback by the frantic tone. Charles shook his head. "'Bloody hell, Evans, we were then coming to look for you,' he sighed. "'It's not safe to go around the castle on your own at the moment.' Harry frowned. "'Because of Malfoy,' Pruitt reminded him. Harry snorted. "'If Malfoy's stupid enough to try something, it'll be him that regrets it.' "'And as I said, he wouldn't do anything directly,' 
Charles reminded him. "'Don't underestimate him, Harry. Abraxas might be all talk himself, but he will stoop to whatever means necessary to get back at you. Just be careful.' Harry nodded his understanding. "'I will. I just needed to walk.' Charles offered him a look of sympathy. "'I get that, I do. But don't make yourself an easy target for them. If any harm comes to you, then there will be trouble.' Pruitt nodded firmly. "'And lots of it,' he added. "'You're one of our sevens. I may look out for our own.' Minerva smiled and took Harry by the hand. Leading him to a chair by the fire, she sat him down. "'You're coming to Hogsmeade tomorrow. It wasn't an invitation or request, but a command. You're going to take a day off from whatever you do on the weekends and come with us. You could do with the fresh air and some fun.' "'She's right,' Charles offered supportively. "'We can show you around and get some lunch. It will do you good.' "'And I don't suppose I have a choice?' Harry asked amusedly. "'Not unless you want to spend the day in my pocket having been turned into a mouse,' Minerva returned. Harry chuckled and nodded. "'All right, I'll be there, but I'd like to go to bed now. It's been a trying day.' When Minerva gestured that he could do so, he quickly headed towards the staircase to the boys' dormitory. Eight o'clock! In here!' she called after him. She received no response, but Harry would be there. "'Ah, he didn't take much convincing,' Pruitt mused aloud. But he's learnt not to get on the wrong side of Minnie, Charles chuckled. We'll give him some time before we head up. Merlin knows he needs the sleep. So, until then, Pruitt asked, his eyes wandering to the clock above the fireplace. His roommates had tried to be quiet as they followed him to bed some thirty minutes or so later, and then the ruffling of the curtains as Charles pulled them apart slightly to check on him. What Harry had learnt about his grandfather since he had met him was that he was a kind and caring boy— Often he could be found helping out the lower years with their homework or simply just spending time with them. Because of this, he was highly thought of by the Gryffindors, a big brother of sorts to most. Harry, too, had grown to respect him, and not just because of their familial relationship. Charles was almost exactly how he imagined his own father would be, just with less focus on pranking. He would go as far as to say that they had formed something of a friendship. Not a day went by without Charles waiting for him in the common room to shower after Harry had spent the earlier hours of the day in the room of requirement— and there was never a meal that he sat alone. Both Ongden and Charles had welcomed him, and even Pruitt had, though he was not as close to Tiberius and the Potter heir as one may expect. Damon Pruitt had friends in Hufflepuff he spent much of his time with. Not that Harry had anything against the boy, he too was friendly enough, would speak when he was present, and work with the other sixth-year boys on their assignments. He just simply had other friends too. Above all, what Harry found most odd was how easily he found himself settling into this new way of life— he often found himself pondering just what Ron and Hermione were doing, if it had been discovered and what had happened to him. Regardless, it mattered not. He had been here for nearly five months now, and he had long since accepted that there was no going back, even if the pang in his chest at the thought remained. Still, things could always be worse, and they would become so in the years to come. That was why he worked so hard on his magic when everyone else slept, why he pushed himself to be better every day. His future was not assured, and though they didn't know it yet, it wasn't for anyone living here. With each passing day, the impending conflict with Grindelwald and his ilk grew closer, and Harry was determined to be ready for it. During his musings, he must have dropped off, because when he next opened his eyes, the sun had risen, and he had missed his opportunity to continue with his preparations. With his promise to meet Minerva in the common room, he would not have time, but perhaps a day off would serve him well? He had been pushing himself exceedingly hard since he had arrived. With a flick of his wand, he checked the time, and seeing that he had a couple of hours before she would be waiting for him, he removed one of the parcel-tongue books that Nicholas had given him from his trunk and began to read. 
At first he had resisted doing so, the gift of the magic he possessed courtesy of his soul being tainted by that of Tom Riddle, but there was something niggling at him in the back of his mind, urging him to seize the advantage he had been gifted. Eventually he had succumbed, had accepted that being a parcel mouth was who he was, even if it should never have been. The books Nicholas had given him were interesting, full of useful spells that could be used in many situations. If truth be told, he was excited that it was only him and Voldemort that could wield this magic to his knowledge, and Tom would never have these books at his disposal. Each of them was handwritten, and had evidently been passed down the Slytherin line until they came into the possession of the Flamels, each member of the family having added their own discoveries and spells along the way. Quickly, the books had become some of his most treasured possessions, and he had taken to reading them often, and even incorporating them into his daily practices. "'You up, Evans?' Tiberius yawned some time later. "'Remember? We're going to Augsby today.' Harry smiled as he shook his head. "'I'm up, Ogden.' "'Good,' the boy replied. "'Get ready. You'll need a decent breakfast, and you, before we go?' Packing his books away and gathering some clothes from his trunk, he showered before heading to the common room where Minerva, Poppy, Charles, and Ogden were waiting for him. "'I thought you looked dashing,' Poppy commented as he reached them, giving him an appraising look. "'I've only ever seen you in robes,' she pointed out. She had dressed herself in a long blue polka dot dress that flared at the bottom, complete with a black bow tied around her waist and a black hat to match it. "'Looking sharp, Evans,' Charles offered with a nod. Minerva smiled almost triumphantly at him. He had chosen to wear a gray and black checkered jacket, with lighter gray trousers, brown shoes, and a white shirt. The ensemble was completed by one of the hats that Minerva had picked out for him, one that matched his jacket. The girl had opted for a dress similar to Poppy's, though hers was green in color and the bow and hat a dark tartan. "'Very nice,' Minerva commented as she looped arms with Poppy and the two led the group from the common room and toward the great hall. "'Have you been to Augsby before, Evans?' Charles asked as they sat down for breakfast. Harry nodded as he returned the glare of a Braxis Malfoy from the other side of the room. "'A few times,' he answered when the Slytherin looked away. "'Not for a while, though.' "'Well, it doesn't really change too much, I suppose,' Charles mused aloud, helping himself to some toast. "'But it's much-needed time away from the castle, and there's always something to do there. "'What do you like to do?' "'The three broomsticks is a must for lunch,' Charles replied. And Zonko's? Don't forget Honeydukes, Poppy interjected. I'm going to get some peppermint clotted cream. Charles shook his head disapprovingly. If it's not honeycomb cream, then you've got it wrong. Poppy eyed the boy indignantly. Here we go, Tiberius sighed. What ensued was quite the heated debate between the two as to which clotted cream was better. Harry and the others merely looked on in amusement until Minerva stood, having finished her breakfast. We can set and argue about it all day. "'and we can actually get on the carriage and go to the village,' she pointed out irritably. Charles nodded. "'Then I can show Poppy here why the honeycomb cream is the best. "'And I can drum it into your thick skull that the peppermint is better.' "'The two of them glared at one another for a moment "'before Minerva huffed and headed towards the grounds, followed by the others. "'Are they always like this?' Harry asked Ogden. "'You mean stop it and pick at it? "'Yeah, that's Charles and Poppy.' "'Harry snorted, frowning as they reached the carriages.' He hadn't paid much attention to the Thestrals during their trip to the castle at the beginning of term, mostly because he had been preoccupied with the arrival of the other students, and also seeing them served only to remind him of what had transpired at the ministry. Now, however, as he gazed upon the ominous creature at the front of the carriage, he felt himself filled with warmth. What had happened at the ministry had not been their fault. If anything, they had gotten him where he needed to be, and what he believed had been his moment of need. "'Hello?' 
he whispered as he reached the misunderstood beast. "'Evans, what are you doing?' Charles asked curiously. "'Just speaking to the Thestral.' The other teens looked at him confusedly, and he smiled. "'Unless you've seen someone die, you won't be able to see them,' he explained. "'You mean to say that there is a creature there? That we can't see?' Minerva questioned. Harry nodded and gestured for the girl to approach. When she did so, he took her by the hand and gave her a look of reassurance. Calmly, he urged. She nodded as she placed her hand on the Thestral's nose, her eyes widening. "'There's really something there,' she whispered. "'What does it look like?' "'Like a thin horse with wings,' Harry answered. "'The brilliant,' he added reverently. Minerva smiled warmly at him. "'You really like them, don't you?' Harry nodded. "'They helped me when I needed them.' He gave the Thestral a final pat before walking back to join the others. "'What did you feel?' Poppy asked. "'I didn't know, but it was gentle,' she replied. "'And warm?' "'Well, I suppose you learn something every day. I'll ask Professor Linton if we can cover them,' Charles mused aloud. Linton was the care of magical creatures, Professor, and as far as Harry was concerned, only Hagrid could match him with his passion for his profession. "'Anyway, shall we head off?' Tiberius asked. Charles gestured for them to enter the carriage, and Minerva took a seat next to Harry, still holding his hand. "'Thank you,' she whispered. "'I never really thought about what drew the carriages. "'Neither did I until I could see them. "'Your godfather?' "'Harry shook his head. "'A friend,' he answered cryptically. "'Minerva did not question him further, "'but squeezed his hand, "'and the teens remained silent for the rest of the journey. "'Honeydukes first, then?' Poppy asked challengingly, "'her eyes firmly on Charles, "'who chuckled once they had departed the carriage. "'All right, Poppy.' he conceded. You can show me just why the peppermint cream is better, but if you're wrong, I'll be very disappointed in you. Poppy raised an eyebrow at him. I'm never wrong, Potter, she replied, eliciting another bout of laughter from the boy as the group followed her towards their first stop of the day. To Harry, the village appearances had always had the same cobbled streets and even the same shops, though perhaps the paintwork was a little fresher. Still, it was nice to be here, and as he entered Honeydukes, he was reminded of the times he had visited Hogsmeade with Ron and Hermione, and also the very useful shortcut between here and the castle he would take advantage of when needed. "'See, I told you it was better,' Poppy said triumphantly as Charles sampled the peppermint cream. He nodded thoughtfully before grimacing. "'No,' he disagreed. "'It's not for me, but now you have to try the honeycomb one.' Poppy mumbled under her breath, but accepted a spoonful of the offered treat and shook her head. "'Not sweet enough,' she declared. "'Then maybe you should agree to disagree?' Minerva interjected. Charles nodded, and Poppy did so reluctantly. "'And why'd you have to ruin the fun, Minnie?' Tiberius grumbled. "'They might have actually started throwing it at each other.' "'Because I would rather not be barred from here,' Minerva replied evenly. "'If you want to throw cream, you can do it outside.' She deflated as she realized the mistake she'd made, and Ogden turned towards Poppy. "'What do you think?' "'Shall we go outside and throw cream at each other?' His tone was almost hopeful, and Harry shook his head at the boy. "'Judging by the look you're getting, Tiberius, I think that's a no.' The boy pouted, and Poppy dropped her scowl. "'Don't worry, Ogden. It's quite often that I have the urge to throw something at you,' she responded before heading towards the till. "'She didn't mean cream, Tiberius,' Charles sighed as the other boy appeared hopeful once more. "'More along the lines of a full bedpan,' Harry added. Well, "'That's not very nice.' Ogden muttered. 
When the group had paid for their purchases, they left the sweet-smelling shop behind and moved on to Zonko's, where, oddly enough, Charles seems to be in his element. Really, Potter? Poppy questioned as he filled a basket with itching powder, stink bombs, and some rather dubious-looking jelly. It might come in useful, Charles defended. Especially if McClagan continues being a burk this year. I sure the jumped-up sod. Well, if it's for McClagan, go ahead, Poppy encouraged. You'll get no protest from me. But if any of that finds itself anywhere near me, just remember, I have access to potions. Charles conceded the point with a nod. Understood, he replied with a winning smile. Poppy hummed at the boy, and they once again paid for their items before leaving. It had begun to rain, as was typical of Scotland this late in the year, and Charles frowned. Lunch, then, he suggested. The group readily agreed and headed towards the three broomsticks to escape the downpour. Wait, Harry suddenly said, pausing the others in their steps. Something felt wrong. He couldn't explain what it was, but something had stopped him in his tracks, and though he couldn't see anything amiss, he could feel it prickling at him. Harry, it's raining, Minerva complained. What is it? Harry frowned and gestured for her to be silent. Still he could see nothing, but the feeling remained, so he closed his eyes and focused on it. If he were truthful with himself, he didn't know what he was doing, but it seemed to be the right thing to do. That feeling, it was almost foreboding, an essence on the periphery of his being that simply felt wrong, and with his eyes closed, it only got stronger. Wait sir, he muttered, casting a disillusionment charm over himself before sneaking around to the side, ignoring the calls of his housemates to return. The charm was next to useless in the rain, and he found himself lamenting that he had left his cloak behind, though that would have served him little better in the circumstances. It was as flawed in the rain as the charm, but what he had was better than nothing. At least this way he would not be spotted immediately. It was when he came to an alley a short distance away that he came upon the two figures, seemingly searching for something, and as he drew nearer he recognized Steppens and another Slytherin boy he did not know the name of. "'Well, I—' Steppens huffed irritably. "'I can't have spent that long in there. "'Could be on a minute. Just shut up!' the other boy growled. "'And remember, Evans is the target. Leave the rest. Malfoy was clear on that.' "'I know, Bulstrode,' Stebbins huffed. Harry shook his head at the boys. They planned on attacking him when he was with four other people? Were they that stupid, or had Malfoy promised them something to make it worth their while to take such a risk? The latter was more likely. Regardless, Harry felt his anger begin to boil, and having taken aim with his wand, he fired a bludgeoning curse at Bulstrode, sending him sprawling into the street for the impact to his back. "'Who's there?' Stebbins demanded, turning to face where the spell had come from. Only a few seconds later, the boy had been disarmed, and he found himself tied in knots to a nearby drainpipe, staring down the shaft of Harry's wand. "'Looking for me?' Harry hissed, dropping his charm. Stebbin stared at him wide-eyed, shaking his head as he fought to free himself from his robes. "'No,' he denied, looking around for any that might assist him. There was no one. With the rain still pouring, the other students had taken refuge in the shops, and Bolstrobe was in no position to help. "'Funny that,' "'Considering I heard what you were saying—' "'We didn't mean anything by it, just some fun,' Stebbins tried. "'On behalf of Malfoy,' Harry added. "'He might us do it,' Stebbins protested. Harry seized him by the front of his robes and pulled him closer so that they were nose to nose. "'Then tell Malfoy to stop being such a sniveling coward and face me himself,' he seethed. "'Tell him from me, Stebbins, that if he wants to get at me, then I'm ready for him any time.' "'Harry!' Minerva's voice sounded. Harry, let him go, she implored. He's not worth the trouble. Harry continued glaring at the pale Steffens before shoving him away. 
Tell him, Stebbins, he reiterated. The boy could only nod as he pulled Volstrad to his feet, and the two scarpered. Bloody elevens, what happened? Chungus asked. They were planning to ambush me, Harry explained, his eyes still on the retreating Slytherins. Charles released a deep sigh. I'll have a word with Black, he assured Harry. He will not be happy about this. Then you'd better be quick about it, because a Braxis Malfoy is really starting to piss me off. I will, Charles promised, placing a calming hand on his shoulder. Come on, let's get back to the castle. Harry shook his head. No, we're going to have lunch, and that is what we will do. You sure? Tiberius asked. I mean, I'm famished from all that excitement. You must be starving. Harry laughed at the boy as he nodded. Come on, Ogden, let's get you fed, shall we? Tiberius smiled eagerly, and the teens continued on their way to the pub. Are you sure you're okay? Minerva asked. I'm fine, Harry answered honestly. He was, though there was something within him that wanted Malfoy to continue with his efforts, just so he would have an excuse to put him in his place. Just where that thought had come from, he could only guess. But he knew that it was no coincidence that, since the ritual, he had become much more willing to confront others to anticipate conflict, though feeling it approaching was something new. Could Voldemort do that? Sense danger in such an odd way? Probably, Harry decided. If it was something that could be learned, he was certain that Tom Riddle would have found a way. He always did, a habit that Harry had also recently adopted. Was this truly down to the ritual? He would need to speak to the Flamels to find out, and though he was not opposed to these changes within him, they were becoming more noticeable. End of chapter 9 For this and other stories by the same author, visit leemacusker.com, as well as the fanfiction.net page of The Black's Resurgence. Music by Dr. James Benigoff and Sam Gabriel. If you would like to commission me to record a story, voiceover, or character, please get in touch using the contact information on my website, which is located at samgabrielvo.com. And there you can find other stories that I've read, as well as links to my Patreon page, to which I hope you consider subscribing to support me, and my Discord server, where I record things live for your enjoyment. And finally, as always, thank you for listening.